Eugene Peterson, author of The Message Translation, offers these words. The two most difficult things to get straight in life are love and God. More often than not, the mess we make of our lives can be traced to the failure in one or both of these areas. Reese is one of the rare kingdom men who has marked out the ancient path, the tried and true road, that Jeremiah suggests allows us to find rest for our souls and become the kind of men who over time can be entrusted with more and more of God's kingdom. Welcome to the Become Good Soil podcast. I'm your host, Morgan Snyder. This is part two of a two-part conversation. If you haven't listened to part one, I would encourage you to listen to that first. I invite you to join Reese and I as we pick up the conversation and explore together what happens when we begin practicing asking God what he thinks of us and much more. So Reese, what do you say to a man that has a good heart, that really loves God and really wants to grow and mature? He's listening to you and he's saying, damn. Reese is pretty much describing my life. I have taught people how to treat me, and so I have to take responsibility of the fact that I don't own my life. I live like a victim. I am bringing home scraps to my family, and while publicly I might get accolades from people, the people I love the most get the least out of me or are suffering, and I feel stuck. You right. have my attention. What do you say to that guy? Well, I think the only way that's going to change, Morgan, and this sounds rather simplistic. We've talked about this before, but I think the only thing that will change that is when a man begins to go to God and ask God very specific questions about Jesus. What do you think of me as a man? Jesus, what do you think of my heart? Jesus, will you show me how much you love me? Jesus, what do you think of my future? And then he writes down the answer. And then he learns over time to do that on a consistent basis. And he reviews that. And then what happens is he begins to believe that. And that's what brings about the transformation. Mm. See, it's not through gutting it out and, you know, trying, so to speak. You know, obviously effort is involved, but it's through really changing the way you believe. Yes. About God, about yourself and about what life is really about. Because, see, we're being sold a total bill of goods that is wrong in our culture. And what everybody thinks brings life, it's like the lemmings. You know how one of them goes over the cliff? <laughs> they all go over the cliff. And what I say to people, if you want to end up like everybody else, just live like them. Reese, what I so appreciate about what you're suggesting that feels pretty radical is it cannot come from work harder, strive no. harder. But where it comes from is identity. And it totally you know, and I was just thinking, it feels counterintuitive to actually pause and say, God, what do you think of me? Because it's so foreign because most men are used to getting that answer from their validation through other people and through their accomplishments. But I was just reading this morning, it's really fascinating timing in Romans 4 in the message. And it's this beautiful passage where Paul is describing Abraham's life. And he says, we call Abraham father, not because he got God's attention by living like a saint, which is the striving you're talking about, mm -hmm. but because God made something out of Abraham when he was nobody. That It says Abraham was first named father, 
And then he became a father because he dared to trust God to do what only God could do, raise the dead to life in a word to make something out of nothing. And so exactly right here in the text, it says that Abraham paused and he asked that question, God, what do you think of me? And the Mm -hmm. answer was, God continued to say, I set you up as father. I set you up as father of my people. And then Romans goes on to say, when everything was hopeless, Abraham chose to believe anyway. And he decided decided to live not on the basis of what he couldn't do, but on what God said he would do. Mm -hmm. And the beautiful transition in this passage, it says, So Abraham chose not to focus on his own impotence and say this is hopeless. And his situation was hopeless. I mean, he is told by God he's the father of nations, and his wife is 75 and haggard and barren, right? I mean, she long since gave up hope. And plus, plus, you know, he made him wait. Mm. He delayed, and Abraham sort of got a little antsy, and that's why we have the Ishmael thing. So he tells Abraham who he is, but then he makes him wait for the timing of it. Yeah, just like he did with David. David, you're going to be king, but for the next 14 years, you're going to be chased all over Jerusalem and hide in caves. Just like Joseph. Joseph, one day, you're going to be higher than your brothers. Throws him in prison for 14 years, and what's he think? And see, Morgan, this is the critical component. It's one thing to hear from God. It's another thing to believe it. It's not just hearing, it's believing it. And so that's what Abraham did. That's why he's called the father of faith. And what happens is, my guess would be that very few men actually go to God on a regular basis and say, Jesus, what do you think of me as a man? What do you think of my heart? And this is where those new names comes in. Jesus, do you have a new name for me? Yes. And they're so encouraging because it is a, a glimpse of, yes, this is an aspect of your life. This is how I see you. Yeah. And so radically different than the way we speak to ourselves, And so radically different than what life feels like in the waiting. Like yes, you said, right. because we're given this word, but in the waiting is part of the process. Because this passage goes on to say how Abraham did that. It says he plunged into the promise, which mm-hmm. I love that image. You think of jumping off a rock into water. Right. He plunged mm-hmm. into the promise. He came up strong. And ready for God, sure that God would make good on what he had said. And that's why Abraham was declared fit by God, by trusting God to set him right. And then it goes on to say it's not just Abraham, but it's us. The same thing gets said about us when we embrace and believe the one who brought Jesus to life when the conditions were equally hopeless. Right. And see, I think that what happens, Morgan, is this, is that generally we read something like that, you know, in the Genesis, and we look at Abraham, we think he was some kind of guy from Pluto or something, you know, that he was so different, and actually he wasn't. The difference is Abraham just chose to believe God in spite of the circumstances. And that's the same invitation to us. You know that verse in Second Chronicles sixteen nine, where it says, "The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth, looking for those whose hearts are fully devoted to Him." You know that verse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The message says, "God is always on the lookout for those whose hearts are fully devoted to Him." Why do you think God's always on the lookout? Because it's rare. It's a rare. Because it's rare. It, yes. Exactly. Yes. And see, I think that a huge line for a man to step over is to say, "This I'm going to be one of those guys." 
Yes. I'm going to be one of those guys that when God looks out and says, who is there that will believe me? Jesus, I'm in. I'm in. I'll believe you. No matter what the circumstances, I'm going to believe you. Yes. And that's a turning point. Hmm. But I, I think it's just so easy in ministry to lose sight that what we talked about earlier, that you are the message. Yes. My life, your life, our lives are the message. That is, if we're not living it, if we're not living a life that is, for no better term, is becoming like Jesus, then we're fooling ourselves. Mm. We could be living out of our giftedness. We could be very driven. We could be very organizational, you know, have a lot of creativity. But if our life is not becoming more like Jesus, and in a sense, a holy winsomeness to it, then we're sort of losing, we're losing the battle there. Yes. So, Reese, in thinking about this conversation and this topic, think about your kids. You've got two awesome grown kids, and it's your eulogy, and you've passed from this world, and they're up to share with the world who is Reese Bricken. What is it that you'd love for them to say? Oh, what I'd love to say is this was the most authentic man I've ever known. He loved Jesus. He was incredibly fun. He was enthusiastic. He was just a cool dad, and I loved being around him. And he loved me. And he was for me. And Reese, you had said as kind of a first step for a guy listening to this that finds his, his rope in some knots is to ask God the question, of God, what do you think of me? And then not just once, but as a daily act, you're suggesting to actually pause and take the time and ask him that question. And then what? Like if you had to talk what to him, to operationalize it. Yeah, what I would do is this. I'd first start off, well, eventually you do want to ask God, what do you think of me? But I think it's even more important to say, Jesus, would you show me how much you love me? Hmm. My contention is this, that we say that we believe God loves us, but most of us don't really believe that. I mean, it's a functional reality because we live our life different if we believe that. And so I think there is a transformation that has to occur where it moves from theory and brain to heart. Mm -hmm. And the way that takes place is you ask very specifically, Jesus, would you show me how much you love me? And then be open, then just get a pen at your computer and then begin to write what he puts in your mind. It could be pictures. It could be memories. It could be scripture. It could be a song. It could be anything. God's very creative. Mm -hmm. Then after you do that, then you say, Jesus, what do you think of me as a man? And pause. And some days he may not say anything. Some days he will say something. And then what do you think of my heart? Uh, what do you think of my future? And you write that those things down, and then a, a key component then is to go back after two weeks or so and review that. You know, you, it's helpful to be able to maybe highlight it with a yellow marker, maybe m make it in a different color in your journal if you're typing it. And just go back and read that. What I found when I've done that, it just blows me away. Where did this stuff come from? And Reese, how has it helped you in a really practical sense? You've heard from God. You've received you know, affirmations of how he loves you and what he thinks of you. And now, you know, you're down the field and you're in the front line. How have you returned to those words and allowed those to inform very practical kingdom decisions you make? So, okay, when I'm in a situation with people or in ministry, then what I have heard God say repeatedly is, and I think he would say this to most everyone, would be live out who I have told you that you are. 
as opposed to giving in the pool of who they want you to be. Yeah, exactly. So live out who I've told you that you are. And then obviously, I think too, you know, when you're in it, and this is a learned thing, and I'm you know, certainly not hitting it 100% here by any stretch of the imagination, but pause and invite Jesus into it. And Jesus, what do I say? What do you want me to say? You want me to keep my mouth shut? That type of stuff. Yes. Yeah. So it's walking with God, but it's that conversation walk. Jesus, what do you want me to do here? How yes. do I respond? Yes. And the reason we, in my opinion, the reason we get in trouble so often is we don't know who we are. And our tendency is to pull out the club and beat ourselves over the head because either of our, of our failures, out of our brokenness, or out of our comparisons or envy. But if you've heard from God and he's told you who you are and you begin to believe that, there really is an immense freedom with that. Because hmm. then you don't have to impress people. You don't have to be the center of attention. You don't have to draw attention to yourself. You can simply be authentic and follow Jesus in whatever situation you're in. Hmm. You know, Paul talked about that. He learned to be content whether he had a lot or had a little. And then he talked, to, as we mentioned earlier, he, he was always looking for a way to influence others towards the kingdom. Yes. We don't do that if you're all wrapped up worrying about what everybody else is thinking. Hmm. Well, Reese, I would love to conclude with praying for these guys for this specific area. Before we do that on this topic, is there anything that you feel like the Spirit's put on your heart that you want to make sure we capture for these guys? Well, I would say that one of the key components is hearing from God, obviously. The other one is desire. That is to ask Jesus to awaken my heart so that I can really get in touch with the desires he's put on my heart. Because without desire, that's the fuel that leads to change. What do I want? I mean, what kind of life do I really want to live? What kind of man do I really want to be? What kind of marriage do I really want to have? What kind of father do I really want to be? The incredible thing is we get to choose. Now, some of those choices may be very difficult, but we do get to choose. And if we're not in a situation of learning to get in touch with our desires so that they're increasing, then we're missing a huge a part of, I think, of what Jesus offers. Yeah, I so appreciate that, Reese. I felt like really in line with this conversation, the Holy Spirit's had me reading back through The Weight of Glory, C.S. Lewis. Right. And it's one of the best writings I've ever read. And in it, he says that same idea, and he says it this way, Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak, that we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. It's like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. No question. What's amazing in The Weight of Glory, as Lewis goes on, with this idea of it's not that our desire is too strong, but it's too weak. He says there is a natural reward in God's design for things where he says, like, for example, back to marriage, he says, healthy, vibrant life and joy filled marriage is actually the reward of loving a woman. Well, 
Exactly. And so it's not, I need to just grit it and work harder to have a better marriage. What I hear you saying is, no, God, I ask you to awaken desire that I could become a more loving person towards my wife, knowing that the reward for increasing love over time towards my wife is a more vibrant marriage. Right. Here's another verse that Jesus says that's one that you sort of wish he wouldn't say, but you know, in, <laughs> in Matthew, he says, small is the gate and narrow the path that leads to life and only a few find it. And that's pretty straightforward. Yeah. And I think that that appeals to desire, because for me, when I read a verse like that, what I say is, Jesus, I'm going to be one of the few that find it. I'll do whatever it takes because mm. I want that life. I want what you offer. Mm. So case closed. I will do whatever you ask. Mm. There's no negotiation here. You know, I'm 100 percent in whatever it is that you offer. I want it and I'll do anything to get it. Reese, I'd love to pray right there. Segue into prayer if you're good with that. Sure. Jesus, we want to be among the few. We want to be among the few that find the narrow road and find a way to make it last. And as Reese suggested, there's a way to live to say, I'm 100% in, I'll do whatever it takes. And so, Jesus, you have our permission. We give you access to our hearts in these places. And we ask that you would come and meet us in the hope in the longing, and in the pain that this conversation has surfaced in us, we ask God that first you would speak to us about how you love us, that you would actually call to our hearts specific ways and messages and pictures and memories to communicate again how deep your personal love is for us. And Father, we're asking for you to speak your words affectionately of what you think of us, of what you meant when you meant us. Who are we to you? We confess that we've taken our question to so many things and so many people that are not you, and you're the only one that can answer it. And so we ask for your forgiveness and we repent from that. And we extract our question from people and things and ministry and vocation and businesses and relationships. And we give our question back to you. We seed it in you. And we ask today afresh and anew by you, Holy Spirit, through you, Jesus, that you, Father, would bestow on us who we truly are. Pray that you remind us of what you think of us, that you would give us those words that we would capture them and we would find ourselves returning to them. We ask God that you would shepherd us in knowing how it is to care for our own hearts so that we actually have a life to offer to other people. And we live a life that's attractive, that has the attractive quality of heaven that -hmm. scriptures talk about so that people want the life that we're living. And we ask for your forgiveness for ways that we have lived differently, but spoken theoretically about a life-filled life when the truth is we haven't been living it. We ask for forgiveness for ways that we have simply not lived in a way where we've enjoyed our own life. 
where we are not enjoying our own life and therefore we have developed a resentment, a resentment against you, a resentment against others, a resentment against ourselves. We ask for your forgiveness and we ask that you would return joy, that you return us back to a life of authenticity, return us deeper into a life of integrity, and we ask that you would coach us, that you would shepherd us and apprentice us to arrange our days, as Dallas Willard said, to arrange our days so that we are experiencing deep contentment, that we are experiencing joy, and that we are experiencing confidence in our everyday life with you. Would you show us the path to that? Show us the path to experience deep contentment, deep joy, deep confidence in our everyday life with you today and for this decade. You have our yes, and we say we are in 100%. We want the narrow road, and we want to become good soil. Amen. Amen. If you enjoyed this and would like more podcasts and blogs and other resources to take this decade of excavation and go deeper, join us at becomegoodsoil.com. Thanks for listening.